Ragsdale, and this is the Will to Change podcast, a show created for women and men searching for healthy and positive methods of healing after completing the journey of divorce or seeking an end to that relationship you thought might be the one. The way back to a great relationship with the whole you begins with empowering yourself to break free from toxic thoughts, habits, cycles, and triggers. As human beings, we are built for connection and deserve those connections to be displayed in a healthy way. I'm going to share with you my experiences, experiences of guests, and the advice of professionals within the fields of trauma, divorce, life coaching, and faith. My goal for the show is for you to feel empowered, to create boundaries, and stick to them. Start the healing you desire and make courageous decisions to find your peace. I would feel honored to have the opportunity to walk alongside you in your journey from trauma to triumph. Let's get started. Welcome to the Will to Change podcast. I'm your host, William Ragsdale, and we are now entering the uncomfortable zone. That is the place we go to grow. We are going to have on Denisha Nicole. She is the lead vocalist of Nicole Noel, and she's also a mother, which I know is her greatest calling. Denisha is on today to talk about her journey of divorce and how she overcame it and found her way uh, through healing, which was really helped by her faith. So let's go ahead and uh, welcome on the show, Denisha Nicole. Welcome, Denisha. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show. Let me tell you, after our couple of our conversations, um, I just felt an excitement in my heart and I've been anxious all day. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just want to get started and get out of the way and I'll ask some questions as we go along the way. But I'll just start with, you know, kind of start um, where, start at the place where your story began um, to get you on this road of, of healing. Oh, um, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> um, if we're starting at uh, the road to healing, um, it would have come after a separation. Okay. Um, I think after separation, I went through a, a, a phase where I wanted, I was praying and asking God for my marriage back and wondering why I couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. And God really, um, he took me to a place, a very quiet place and a very um, isolated place. And he began to show me myself. And he began to show me my weakness and where I wasn't strong. And he helped me understand why that uh, particular relationship was not for me. Um, Because I I believe that where we're strong, our partners um, sometimes are weak and where we're weak, our partners sometimes are stronger in. um, But when you're in a a relationship where your weaknesses are being um, manipulated or um, taken advantage of, um, then that's that's not a healthy place. And God began to to heal my weakest um, my weakest places in my soul and in my spirit. 
those weaknesses that you speak of, can you share with us what those weaknesses were and how, how they came to be? Well, you know, I got married uh, pretty young. I got married about, I was 21 years old. And those weaknesses uh, stemmed from low self-esteem, um, childhood trauma, um, and just a, a low um, thought process about who I was and what I had to offer. And because I had the low self-esteem and the low self-worth and not really thinking much of myself, I, I attracted um, those things into my life um, and accepted things that I, I wouldn't have accepted if I had really known who I was in Christ and, and known the type of person that I truly was uh, without you know, those weaknesses being exploited. What are some of the lessons that you learned in that period that you could share with people who may be around that age who think they are a, aware of what marriage is and what love mm. is and and what, what are some things that you have found that, man, I wish I would have known these things and I wish I would have, you know, found these things out about yourself and, um, and your boundaries and, uh, and also the partner that you're interested in? You know, I was, I was fresh in college when I got married and I had um, been kind of traveling and I had, I was in Europe for a while. And then I was in New York for a while. And I was kind of, um, kind of living a life where I was kind of, you know, I was trying to cultivate a life um, that I wanted. But at the same time, I was also running um, away from a lot of things, not really wanting to be in one place. And what I learned um, during my healing process is I was afraid to be alone with me. Mm. And so when you don't know who you are, because you've never had a chance to really sit alone with yourself, you've never had a chance to really learn to like yourself and to learn to love everything about yourself. Sometimes you go searching and you go searching for other things to fill the void. And that was, um, that was my marriage for me. It was really something to fill the void. I wanted to be accepted. I just wanted to be chosen. I just wanted to be loved. I, uh, I just wanted someone to say, you're beautiful because I didn't think I was beautiful. And so here comes this man and it's the first man um, who's shown interest in me. And he tells me I'm loved and he tells me I'm beautiful. And he, uh, he tells me he wants me. And I think this is it without really, you know, knowing myself. And so now all of my self-worth is tied to this one individual. And that individual has the ability to break me at any, at any chance that he gets uh, because I had never sat down with the father and asked him who I was. I had never sat alone with myself and discovered who I was and discovered that yes, I'm beautiful and yes, I'm loved and yes, I'm welcomed. I had never done that. And when you don't take the time to do that, you entered into relationships. And now we're talking marriage, we're talking about covenant with people who you're not supposed to enter into covenant with because God isn't saying that. 
uh, but you don't know the voice of God when you've never sat with him long enough to know it. Oh, wow. That is powerful. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is really powerful. So how long were you married? 10 years. 10 years. And for you, when did the issues kind of began for you? Um, and then when did you start to come to grasp with what was happening? You know, um, being very transparent, the issue started before I got married. Um, I, I dealt with a lot of abuse in my marriage. And the first time he hit me, not, it wasn't after I walked down the aisle. It was months before. Um, and, you know, in stressing that point of just wanting to be loved, just wanting to be accepted, you think if I love enough, it'll fix it because this man loves me. And so I saw that before, um, but it, it wasn't enough. I didn't love myself enough uh, to be detoured away from that. Um, so I saw it early on and it didn't change. It didn't change in my marriage. I just learned to live with it and I learned to accept it. When did you start to get that first feeling where you felt like you had to do something? It was, I would say, um, my son is three years old now, and it would have been, um, he was two. And here we are fighting. And the only thing I can think of is my son, you know, um, I don't want my son to see this. I don't want this to be my son's story. And if it hadn't been, honestly, um, for my baby boy, I probably would still be in that situation um, because I, a mother's love is something extraordinary. And my love for him pulled me out of, I think, the fog I was in. I loved him more than I loved myself. And because I loved him more than I loved myself, I would never put him in that situation. And I knew right then something has to be done because if it's not, he will grow up seeing this. He will grow up living in this and this will be his story. And was there some times that that was happening and there was a little bit of rationalization going on? When I first um, gotten pregnant, I got pregnant unexpectedly mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, we found out I was pregnant. And mm -hmm. I remember uh, very vividly him throwing a, um, an industrial fan at me. I was standing on the mm. stairs. We were living in um, Katy, Texas. And he picked up the industrial fan. I can't even remember why he was upset. And I decided then that I was going to leave and I was going to come home. And even still on the drive, on the 10-hour the drive home alone, because I left at night when no one could see me, I was still saying to myself, but I'm pregnant. I have mm -hmm. no money. Mm -hmm. I have, um, I have I, I'm not stable. Mm -hmm. He needs his dad. And maybe mm -hmm. if I leave for a little while, he'll understand that he'll lose me, but he needs his father. There was always this rationale in my mind that no matter what, I was going to have a two-parent home. Mm -hmm. No matter what, my son wouldn't grow up without a two-parent home, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what it was. No, because, because nobody gets married, you know, wanting a divorce, right? No. You know, even if we do it at a young age, we, we're doing it. We, we want it to work. You yes. know, I don't know if yes. any, I mean, I would 
find it hard pressed to find a ton of people who go into it and say, I don't want this to work, <laughs> you know, right, from, right. From, from Jump Street. Now we might go into it with some indecision or uh-huh. some doubt or things like that, but yes, we want it to work, but you know, then things happen and sometimes it just, you know, it doesn't. So that first time of you leaving, that was maybe your first step towards courage. I wouldn't say that. Okay. I would say that was my first step towards, I'm going to teach him a lesson and he is going to love me or I don't even know how to rationalize. I wish mm-hmm. I could, you know, like stand before everyone and say I was full of courage when I left him the first mm-hmm. time. But no, I was hoping that this would be the thing, you know, this would be the thing that will shock him mm-hmm. um, into loving me better, into taking care of me. Um, <laughs> think looking back, it's it's ludicrous, but that was really no, the no. process. I I I totally <laughs> that, but that's like the the process that as human beings we all go through is maybe if I do this, they will do something different, or mm-hmm. maybe I do this. So I imagine throughout that ten years, did you have a lot of instances of maybe if I do this, or maybe if I you know be loving him more that he'll, yes. he'll he'll treat me better you know how much of that happened yes. it was you know maybe if i am not if i don't assert myself much maybe if um maybe if i don't speak so loudly um you know maybe if i keep the house clean and i you know i go to work and i still cook you know two three meals a day maybe then you know he'll love me more um you know it was all these little things that i tried to do um, maybe if I'm more feminine, oh, well, maybe if I get a second job to bring more money and he'll love me more because he'll see my value. I was always adding something to my bucket to try to see if this was the thing that will make him see me, make him see my value, make him treasure me. And it, it never did. What have you discovered about how people change and what makes people change? I've discovered um, just through my changing Mm -hmm. that Christ makes the difference Mm -hmm. that it, no matter what I would have done, I could have, you know, painted the sky purple and it, he couldn't have seen me. Um, I, I've I've discovered that people have to have the, the mind and the heart to change. And if those aren't there, then nothing you do, will make them see you. Um, in fact, the more you do, it will make them have more to take advantage of. More to, you know, more to use against you, but you can't make people change. And sometimes I know I had to repent um, during my healing process. And I know a lot of people saying, why are you repenting? Because I believe sometimes we get in the way of Christ. We think we, we start acting as God saying, well, maybe if I do this, no, you're in God's way. You know, only God can change them. I'm not the creator. I'm not the father. And I spent so much time trying to make him love me, make him see, honestly, even sometimes trying to make him see Christ, that I myself wasn't even on my knees. I myself wasn't even praying. I wasn't even consecrating my life because I was trying to play God in my husband's life. Yes. And a lot of times in those situations, we're just trying to survive. Yes. You know, when we're in those kinds of toxic environments, you know, yes. we're trying to um, figure a way through. <laughs> you no, know, and a lot right. of times we don't 
it's almost it's very difficult to take the time to listen and yes. to, and to hear because it's a lot of work you it, know? Is. it is <laughs> it's a lot of work and we neglect ourselves we oh, neglect yes. ourselves um i know for me i neglected myself very badly i'm sorry if you hear my that's all right, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> i neglected myself to the point of sickness you know to the point of um my weight was out of control severely out of control um hair loss um hormonal shifts i was just not thinking of myself at all and because like you said, I was just really, I was in survival mode and everybody else around me could see that I was deteriorating. But honestly, when I looked in the mirror, I couldn't see it. I just, I was blind, um, just blinded by, I don't even know what I was blinded by, to be honest with you, but I couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Take a moment. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that just adds context. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Dang. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> hey, you don't even want nothing. All this stuff is upstairs. <laughs> hey, that, that's motherhood one-on-one right there for y'all. <laughs> uh, that's Sorry about funny. that. No, that's all right. Sometimes you need you need that laughter to, to get in the way of some serious topics here. Uh, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> All right, so let's kind of pick back up here. Um, mm -hmm. So let's start at the point where you said this is enough. Can you share with us what you were feeling in that moment and what you felt after it happened? Oh, <laughs> that's heavy because to be honest with you, I never said this was enough. I knew it was enough, mm -hmm. but I never, um, I never took action towards it. Mm -hmm. And it was him who decided I'm going to hurt you. And then I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. Now we'll come back to that because there, <laughs> that, that is, um, if you think about someone hurting you and you never saying that it's enough, that's a, you know, that's a, a deep level um, of low self-worth mm -hmm. that at the end of it all, he had to be the one to leave. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe um, Christ said it was enough. Mm -hmm. um, God said it was enough and I had to accept it. And once I, God took me out of that situation, mm -hmm. I could then see why God said it was enough what was a moment of realization that you believed it was enough? I, um, I was the last time my husband decided he was going to be physically abusive was the night before, um, I was supposed to go into surgery. I had been sick for several months and, um, he decided that he was going to be, um, verbally and physically abusive the night before surgery. Um, the next, the next morning I ended up going into surgery and, um, the doctors were like, are you okay? <laughs> because mm -hmm. I didn't look okay physically. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. if, if I had pictures, I, I didn't look okay. Mm -hmm. And at that moment after, you know, even then it still hadn't clicked that your marriage is completely over. It was 
the moment after that I was released from the hospital and I was laying on my couch and if, um, my, my brother was caring for me and my husband didn't call me and um, he didn't call to see if I had made it out of surgery. And as low as I was, I was at the lowest place in my life. And um, a friend said, Denisha, he doesn't love you. He can't love you. And I had to sit in that. And that was, that was really hard to say, you know, he doesn't, he can't possibly love me because even in my pain, I was still expecting him to operate as my husband, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does make sense. It, it does. Who were the people in your life that helped you in that journey? Uh, my mother would come to my home and she would sit with me every day and um, she'd come over and we'd cook dinner. And uh, my brother would come over and he'd check on me. He was already caring for me, um, but he'd come over and he'd cook and we'd watch movies. And my uncle, uh, Mark, he would come over and they, my family surrounded me with love. You know, the love that they surrounded me with was really um, the thing that kept me from going crazy. Because, you know, when you're going through, uh, a tough situation like that, your mind tends to, you know, drift just a bit. And I had felt myself drifting off into the abyss. And my family was just like, no, we're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let you bottle everything up and hide in your bed. Um, so they started just coming over and watching movies and cooking. They couldn't assist me with my low self-worth. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was God. It was really God after, after he let me know that I was surrounded by love and that he was going to keep my mind and that he had actually put me um, in a family that loved and cared for me. He then put me in isolation and it was in isolation that he taught me um, to love myself. It was in isolation that God confronted me um, with my insecurities. It was in isolation that I had to come face to face with myself. You know, I had told you earlier in the conversation that I had never sat with myself. I didn't like to be alone with myself. And so I decided that I was going to move here from there and from person to person, you know, filling the void um, that could only be filled with God. And once he truly set me alone and he began to pour into me, that's when I realized I am really loved. I am really loved and I am beautiful and God created me beautifully. And that, that right there was the thing that kept me from going back to learn that Christ's love um, can fill you up in a way that is more fulfilling than anything you have ever encountered that his love is vast um, and it, it truly is never ending. It's all, you know, it compares to nothing. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was really the keeper for me. That's, that is, that's definitely true. And that is so beautiful. And I also remember in our earlier conversation that uh, one of your uncles shared something, which I find, which I, <laughs> which I 
I am a big believer in about, Mm -hmm. about love. I want you to share, share what that, you know, what that little moment was and what, and what he told you about love. (laughs) Yeah, I have, I had an uncle who um, at the early uh, parts of my journey, I was, I was honestly ashamed I was like, you know, everybody's going to find out. And this particular uncle, and he doesn't mind me saying his name is Alvin. I thought he was super saved. (laughs) You know, one of those super saved Christians that, you know, divorce, you don't divorce, you know, you stay in it, you stick it out. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I was, I'm going to call him and I'm going to let him know that I'm divorced and I'm just going to take the ridicule. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the the sermon that I'm going to get. And he listened to me. And then he said, that's not your husband. Mm -hmm. And I became silent. And he said, listen to me, baby, that's not your husband. The Bible tells us as men that we are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Mm -hmm. That is the covenant that we make. That is the promise we make when we take a woman as our wife. Therefore, he never loved you. He, he was never acting as your husband. Never. Because Christ doesn't beat up on the church. In him, there is no condemnation. Christ doesn't abandon us in our, in our lowest of lows. He is there for us. He is not your husband. And you have nothing to be ashamed of. And with all the tears that I had inside of me, I felt released and relieved. Um, to know that I wasn't going to be beat over top of the head with the Bible because I wasn't strong enough to stay because, you know, they used to say, you know, you got to be strong enough to say, you got to sanctify him. Um, I felt truly love the love of Christ in that moment. Yes. And I think uh, um, you're not alone. A lot, a lot of people who have, who, where faith is a big part of their lives and a big part of their families mm-hmm. have this, you know, there are some out there that do do that stuff that that use it against people. Yeah. But for the majority, uh, a lot of those things that we're thinking about, like, oh, I got to do this because, you know, yes, I'm, that means I, I don't love God or I'm not a Christian or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever religion you are, um, that you can't get a divorce, no matter what's happening. And we always have this misconception yes. of what what marriage really is about in the eyes of God. And, Mm -hmm. and we think just because we signed some paper saying we're married to somebody that that's still considered to be the covenant. And it's not when it's, when it's not done, um, let's say with the right mindset and the right, you know, um, foundation built in a relationship. So how much, how much of that um, that shame and guilt was released when you heard him say that to you? Like, how I, I imagine your heart had that burden on your heart had to be lifted, and that sent you into another another part of your journey. Yes, it was completely lifted because I was so concerned, and I was so concerned that. I wasn't going to be looked at the same, you know, I just had this, this whole, um, shame and 
just a shameful mindset. I was carrying around shame. I was looking, (laughs) I looked like shame, you know, I did Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, I just felt like, um, I'm always going to be the woman who's divorced, you know, that's the, that's the lady who left her husband or, you know, um, and when he said that to me, literally everything clicked and it all made sense. And my heart, um, my heart filled with joy, honestly. Um, and I knew what he was saying was true because it was confirmed by God because God gave me the joy right after he said it. Um, it was like, it was, it was like a new person, honestly, it was a new person. And I, you know, I came out of, came out of that shame and I wasn't afraid to walk into the church after that. I wasn't afraid to go in. And, um, even though everyone was asking, where's your husband, I wasn't afraid of the answer anymore. You said August was about when you started to, to accept that yeah this is this is done and you got through your you know through that you know tough part of the journey which is hard I mean that's a lot of grieving you got to do and yes and getting to that final stage of acceptance of grief um which it sounds like was August once you got to that point of acceptance how did you start to transform Ooh, once I accepted it um because that like you said that that is the first step is accepting it mm-hmm. I was able to then come out of my shell and start to discover who I was and the things I liked to do and really dive deep into um, understanding my purpose because I believe we all have a purpose. Um, And it had to, and it came honestly with that acceptance because as long as I was in denial and I wasn't accepting it, I was still wearing a mask and I was unable to to be truly free, you know, I could say all I want, I'm healed, I'm okay, you know, I'm living with it, but no, 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 no. I wasn't able to be truly free uh, because I was still in denial or hiding. Um, And so once I accepted it, I was able to come out and then um, start discovering my purpose and start walking in my purpose um, with head held high. When did you start to forgive yourself? It came after acceptance. Okay. It came directly after acceptance um, mm-hmm. that I, I had to forgive myself for years of neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to forgive myself for, for years of not taking the time of getting to know me mm-hmm. for years of abuse, uh, mm-hmm. because not only was he abusing me, but I was abusing myself. You know, every time I allowed that behavior to happen, Mm-hmm. I told myself that I was worth, that that's all I deserved. Mm-hmm. And I had to take the time to like, like really, really look in the mirror, like you said, William, and say, you were part of the issue. Yes. You know, he only did what you allowed him to do, mm-hmm. you know, and you fed into it. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You know, I'm not like with uh, victim shaming. Um, no, no, definitely not. Not at all. Um, but I, for me, I had to say to myself, like, you know, you didn't, um, you didn't love yourself enough. And I'm sorry, Janisha. Yes. yes. I'm sorry. 
you know, you couldn't have controlled what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry that mm-hmm. I put you through that. I'm sorry that I put you through the abuse. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry that, you know, that I wasn't taking care of you. I'm sorry that there were days where, you know, I wouldn't eat. I'm sorry of the, for the days where I binge ate, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm sorry for the, for the four McDonald's trips in one day. To <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I literally yeah. had to tell myself, I yeah. am sorry. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Yes. Um, and, and make a vow that I will never do that to you again. Yes. I would yes. never do that again. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> and I think that is a great what kind of how you expressed it. You, you do have to apologize to yourself, you know, in a relationship. And yeah, I agree. There is when it comes to stuff like abuse, it can be not, there's not a it's not about victim shaming when we're talking to ourselves. We're, we're just telling ourselves, like you said. I apologize yeah. to myself for uh, for keeping you in that situation and and yes. things like that. Not that this person, and because it's not the apology and the forgiveness is not mm-hmm. for them. It's for you and, and yes. your your transformation, your healing journey. So, um, have you reached a point to where you have forgiven him? I have. I have. Yeah. It was. Um, a few months back and we were, um, I was sitting in service and uh, my pastor was uh, speaking about um, forgiveness. And I had, I remembered, it brought a sermon that my grandmother had um, given uh, maybe maybe a year or two before she passed. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how not forgiving binds you up. Mm. And how it keeps you in shackles Mm -hmm. and how um, people have gone on with their life, the people who have hurt you Mm -hmm. and they're living. And here you are, you know, sitting on your stoop and you're crippled and you're paralyzed by the things they've done to you. Mm -hmm. So the best you can do is to forgive them. Even if you never get to say it to them, Mm -hmm. forgive them for yourself. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And pick yourself up and you live and that moment you know when when mark was uh preaching and i remembered what my grandmother was saying i sat in church and i actually text uh my husband my then husband and i text him and i said i forgive you Mm, that's powerful that was that was very hard for me and Mm -hmm. god said do it and i was just like no (laughs) Because honestly, I didn't want to forgive him. Mm-hmm. I was carrying around like this coveted pain. It was, it was coveted. Like I, it was the thing that made me who I was now. I'm strong because of this, you know, mm-hmm. this is my story. I lived through this, you know, mm-hmm. and I was honestly holding on to that pain as if it was uh, my superpower, you know? And so when God said, release it, and then to text him and say, I forgive you. And I text him and I said, I forgive you. And it, and I forgave him right then. Now he texted me back. It wasn't pleasant. <laughs> hey, hey, it but is I, what it is. I, I, it is what it is. It wasn't for him. Mm-mm. It was for me. And right after that, I was able to, honestly, then I was able to walk in my purpose. And I asked God, I said, why did I have to go through this? You know, 
I didn't come from a family where, you know, women get abused or, you know, I didn't come from a family, you know, where I was taught to not love myself. Um, why did I have to go through this? And God said, why not? And I promised God that if and when he healed me, that I would not be ashamed to tell someone else, male or female, um, about my story. Because if, it, if my story can be the place of your deliverance, can be the place where you take comfort and you take rest and you find strength, then I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to put my life on display for someone else to find their freedom. Oh, yes, that is powerful. That is, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and, and that, that's what has inspired me because of, you know, my own journey. Um, and so I completely understand, you know, like if I could just have one person, um, it's all worth it. You know, all the time put into it is all worth it. I'm going to go ahead and pause the episode right here. Uh, put, leave it on a little bit of a cliffhanger and we will... Uh, continue uh, on Denisha's journey um, in the next episode. Um, I'm just, I am just so overwhelmed with uh, the vulnerability, the courage, and the fearlessness of Denisha to share so much intimate detail of what occurred in her abusive marriage and how she overcame that. And in our next episode, uh, you will hear like how her life has been transformed. Please like and subscribe so you get notified for that next episode. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at The Will to Change for my private group. Um, we also have a website, thewilltochange.org, or you can find me on the Elephant Journal um, and read some of those articles I've posted. Uh, you just got to search for my name, William Ragsdale. I just want to say thank you again for listening. This is the Will to Change podcast and have a blessed day.